I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is a podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. We live in times that are increasingly out of sync with natural rhythms. More often than not, we impose our own schedules onto a world that has been governed by natural laws since it began, and then wonder at the devastating consequences. Nursing children and their mothers, who are hardwired to follow their instincts, illustrates such a clash very well. It is not uncommon to hear nursing mothers talking about the challenges of breastfeeding, yet alone breastfeeding in public, in a culture that stigmatizes it. I think back to my upbringing in Zimbabwe, where women breastfed in public all the time, and no one thinks twice or even bats an eyelid. I find it fascinating that what was considered to be standard practice in Africa is often taboo here in the Western world, and often ask myself, why is there such a marked difference in views of something that is as natural as lactation? My guests today are Christine Dodson and Sasha Mayer, who have built a business on this exact dichotomy. Mamava is a company that delivers design solutions for nursing mamas on the go. Mamava is on a mission to normalize pumping and breastfeeding, with a Happy Breast logo and the words Privacy for Pumping and Breastfeeding emblazoned on the front of their nursing pods. They are on a mission to remind those who have forgotten that breastfeeding is a natural part of life. Get over your squeamishness that milk comes out of a human and support women who feed the tiny citizens of the world from their own bodies. Christine and Sasha, welcome to the On the Shoulders of Giants podcast. Thank you. So uh, let me start with uh, you, Sasha. Um, What was your childhood like and uh, how has your childhood shaped who you are today? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, my parents are actually artists, so they lived the reality of being able to sort of dictate um, how they wanted to be in the world. And I didn't pursue that path, although my siblings did. Um, but I was attracted to, to design and um, ultimately worked for a design studio because I thought, well, I grew up with artists. If I can um, be the liaison between my eccentric family and the real world, um, what if is is design and, and and that's art for business, right? So I could maybe find a role um, in that capacity, which is which is what I did. Given the fact that my parents were artists, I think I had a sensitivity to outsiderness and wanting to um, you know advocate for people and um, be sort of a liaison to communicate uh, different passions and needs with people. So early on, that was definitely my mentality. 
even as a little kid and in high school, I actually was a founding member of a group called Students for Peace and Survival, which was quite a funny, you know, type of um, club for a suburban high school. And then I went to the University of Vermont and studied women's studies and um, right out of school, got a job working for then Congressman uh, Bernie Sanders. So there was a lot of activism that went into my background. And then the, the fact of being a part of an artist family led me into the design world. Very interesting. And what about you, Christine? Um, my family background is probably a little more traditional. My dad was the one who worked in our family out of the house. And my mom was a homemaker, child caregiver, everything else. I'm one of five. Um, siblings there. And I think just my experiences with my dad worked for IBM and he was in sales and very successful in that. So I always was sort of drawn to um, business and uh, in particular sales. And it's interesting because the field that I went into was design. Um, and I think having that understanding of commercial, how do you sell something that is, you know, oftentimes a passion for designers, but in a commercial context. And I've always been on the account services side. So interacting with clients and yeah, so that was really kind of sparked my interest in the business world, but not wanting to be a salesperson. So it's a little bit of a, a mix of uh, what he was doing and where my interests lie. Carrying on on that uh, activism front, um, how did activism sort of relate to your life in the design world? One of the things that the design studio at the time called JDK Design was great at was interpreting new ideas into popular culture. So we grew up with the Burton Snowboards Company. So the, the design studio grew up at the same time where that snowboards were um, sort of just being introduced to the mountains and maybe even not allowed on most of the mountains, the design studio was there designing graphics for boards, designing product and advertising. And um, we carried on in that way with other clients like Seventh Generation, another great Vermont company that was introducing environmentally friendly products um, into the mainstream. So I think we would consider both of those brands activist brands. And we had a strong orientation at the design studio at working with companies like that, which definitely fed into uh, the idea for, for Mama Va and what kind of brand we wanted it to be. That's interesting. And so, Christine, um, how did you get into the design world and uh, how do you see yourself as you've matured in that world, continuing to challenge the status quo? Um, I think through the experiences in having taken that career path, we learn um, every day with our interactions with clients um, what it takes to connect with your audience and to have real empathy and insight into the challenges that they're facing and how your product or service solves that. So I think from a very, you know, much of business orientation, that was clear early on and that's sort of, you know, what I was learning in that role. And then that combined with being a working mother 
and having and being really one of the first in the studio, I think the very first, other than the owners um, who had children, um, who had babies, uh, trying to figure out for myself how to reconcile going back to work, but wanting to do what was best for my babies, which was continue breastfeeding. And it was, it was really difficult. And, you know, I think the connection I had with Sasha as a colleague, and she was doing the same thing a couple years later and real in us living that and then realizing that we actually had the tools <laughs> being in the design world and her specifically in brand strategy to start to think about how we could solve that problem. <laughs> Great. Uh, I guess you guys had the tools in more ways than one, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But it wasn't until many years later. I mean, both of us were way beyond breastfeeding by the time we actualized this company, but that was probably for the best because we had other things, families and um, our growing careers to focus on. So really, I think the timing was perfect. We we were able to turn our attention to the need and it didn't go away. It, it was no longer our need, but realizing every day we were reading articles about the challenges that other mothers who we're going through we're having yeah, i think that's an important point that I, I think there's something about the the breastfeeding mom thinks well once i'm done with it it's out of sight out of mind and for us it was this dilemma that we saw our siblings our friends still facing every day wait, like wait a minute you're at work and you're pumping a storage closet oh you went on this trip and you're in a restroom in the airport so the the need to act was sort of undeniable and I think sometimes we call ourselves reluctant entrepreneurs <laughs> in a, yeah, to the degree, well, well, I guess if no one else is going to do it, I, well, we have to step forward. Right. So talk to me about that transition and how this idea, because I'm assuming at some point it crossed your minds and you maybe chatted about it. And how does that idea um, incubate and, and germinate into something that you actually start actively working on? I think as practical uh, business-minded people, it was with the passing of the Affordable Care Act. In that legislation, there's a mandate that employers with more than 50 employees um, have to provide break time and a place that is not a restroom for moms to pump. So the idea was so, with us. Sorry, hang on a second. So the law had to be passed for moms to have a, pl a place to pump? Essentially, yeah, there were state and municipal laws that did protect moms if they wanted to have the break time and a place that wasn't a, a bad restroom, but really not until the piece of legislation tied to the Affordable Care Act mandated that if you are an employer with more than 50 employees, you actually have to provide a space that isn't a restroom and the break time for moms to use breast pumps. So if we were going to, if we were thinking about going out and raising money for this business, um, trying to build momentum around it, with that legislation, we had a true business case we could point to to say, you know what, this is happening, and there is not a solution out there. We have it. Wow. So excuse the ignorance here, but what were women doing all along? 
So we had a really supportive workplace. So when we were at work, we could close our office doors and we had a shared location for moms to use their breast pumps. Um, but when we were on the road, we were often using um, our breast pumps in restrooms. And frankly, what women were doing was quitting breastfeeding. Yeah. So the um, at the time, the, the implications were, were massive. Um, women could um, take 12 weeks of potentially unpaid. There's no um, um, parental leave that's in the U.S., sadly. Some employers do do right by their and at least provide um, some time paid. Mm -hmm. But um, they basically, the statistics show that there is a cliff. You know, when women go back to work, they quit breastfeeding. So um, how do you then get to build this business, you know, because um, you're, you're working full time still? Yeah. And I, I think an important kind of prelude to the Affordable Care Act and that legislation Sasha just described is the idea we started developing prior to that because we had permission from the owners of the design studio were very interested in encouraging employees to think about opportunities that the studio could actually develop um, as products or services in, in brands. Um, really? We had, yeah, so it was actually a, a revenue generating potential for the, the design studio to encourage employees to come up with ideas so that then they we could collectively develop those and, and do what exactly what happened with Mamava. And there were two other um, initiatives that got traction during that time. Um, we opened a coffee shop um, that uh, got a bike orientation, so for cyclists, and what ultimately became a co-working space. So it wasn't just Sasha and I on the sidelines doing this. It, we had permission and we were given support to do it during our normal work day. Yeah, so positively, we were intrapreneurs to the larger design studio and beyond even um, being revenue generating, I think the solving big mission-oriented design problems was, was paramount to that initiative. Yeah. And you know, wonderfully, it's it's worked out. The one of the owners of the design studio is on our board. The design studio owns a share of this new business and um, gets to see another another uh, living idea um, succeed. Wow, this is uh, this is quite insane. You know, because I mean, you're side hustling without the side hustle part of it. <laughs> it sounds like right, and, right. And, yeah. Yeah, you've got the support of the the company that you actually are fully employed with. I mean, that's revolutionary, and I don't necessarily know if there are any other companies that are doing this, but I mean, this is uh, it's mind blowing for me. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. There, are, you know, there. Are, I believe it's maybe 3M that also has this model where they would give, and a couple other larger tech companies, they would dedicate time every, every month or every week for employees to work on their special Skunk Works project. Mm -hmm. Whether they then get a larger ownership stake or that kind of thing is a little bit unclear. But um, it has been a model that, you know, has been part of larger companies. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's talk about Mamava itself. Uh, when was it formed and what exactly does Mamava do? 
we incorporated or we started uh, officially as a business in 2013, although we didn't hire our first employees till the end of 2015. So we were still essentially working out of the design studio for a few years there. Um, we saw the need for um, moms to have a place, particularly to use their breast pumps, um, but if they are in a crowded or hectic environment, also to, to nurse a baby who might be distracted or just might be more comfortable uh, within a closed setting. And we um, started out with a prototype in Burlington International Airport, and we got so much positive feedback, actually, um, via press and social media, nationally and internationally, essentially it just launched the business and, and the idea from that one installation. There has been um, a long journey from that prototype to actually being um, a company with employees and an office and, and sustainable manufacturing, uh, but that's, that's really the, the origin of it. A couple other elements are, you know, recognizing early off that we didn't have scales, but we wanted to provide value for moms. So we also developed a mobile app that moms could find our units, as well as um, thousands of other lactation rooms that we have vetted around mm -hmm. the country. And then she could also provide this great feedback loop to us, both on our units and these other rooms saying, oh, this is a five-star location. Here's where it's located. Um, so very early on, we saw the you know physical complemented by a digital footprint. Wow, that's awesome. And so what is your business model then? It's um, revenue is mainly generated through the sale of the pod. Um, we are developing another side of the business, which is more around a media orientation. Um, we're in conversations with many large packaged goods brands, CPG companies that are interested in making a connection to Mamava, whether that's through advertising or sponsored content or promotions and activation. So that is uh, certainly an opportunity for our brand as well as, as those brands who are looking to connect directly with breastfeeding mothers. So that's um, part of our business model as well. Got it. So um, when you were developing the idea, can you talk to me about how you financed it and then also how you got the first location at the Burlington Airport? Sure. So the Burlington Airport is a wonderful Vermont story. We always say, you know, there's zero degrees of separation from, from people you need to connect with in Vermont. <laughs> and, yeah. The um, director of the airport, uh, uh, we call him, he's one of our uh, fairy godfathers of Mama Va. His name is Gene Richards, and he was a neighbor of Michael Jacker, who's the owner and creative director of the design studio. And he knew we were working on this. And also he had hearing from moms that they needed a lactation room at the airport. So he uh, basically helped support both in the development, um, not financially, but he actually helped do a little prototyping work with us because he was a builder um, at one point. And then ultimately when we did have the design that you see now, um, just said on a handshake, here, you can have this location, let my airport be the first one. Wow. And, and so how did you finance creating these pods 
this is more than just uh, spreading the gospel about normalizing breastfeeding. You're actually building um, a product-based company and have to figure out uh, the architecture, the designs of the pods, the materials that you're going to use for the pods, find manufacturers and prototype, etc. This must have cost us some money. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, early on, Sasha invested her own money in the prototype, but as we grew and needed to hire, um, we did get investors and we, as far as our relationship with manufacturers, we were, again, like this is a fortunate event that we had a connection with a designer who's a design engineer who builds spaces and he saw the opportunity to, again, be aligned with this cause. He himself had children and understood what we were trying to bring to the world. And he actually worked at a manufacturing facility. So they were the first ones to make a Mamava. And then as he transitioned into new and different roles at, at another manufacturer, we went with him. And then ultimately he opened his own factory. So. As far as it's been an investment on our side in just him as our designer, we compensate him, but he chose to align um, his manufacturing facility around our growth. So it's wow. a really synergistic relationship. And and, and he did um, ultimately open his own uh, factory called um, Conrad Prefab in Springfield, Vermont. Yeah. So it's great to be able to be making our units as well as you know, having the business all based in Vermont. That's that's awesome. It's funny. Um, it's uh, it's a very Vermonty thing to be associated and to uh, stand up for these very strong social causes. But and and I appreciate that. And I also I appreciate the fact that you know it's one thing to be a nursing mother and know the challenges that women go through as they breastfeed. But then how do you get that transformation to happen in a male airport general manager in uh, wherever, in Florida, or a male stadium facilities manager, or a male executive for the New York City MTA, you know, how do you make them understand and to buy into this notion that you need to have these pods and to give women an opportunity to to be able to breastfeed? Yeah, I mean, I think I can start to answer that, and Sasha certainly has thoughts as well. I think it's, know your know your audience and there's there's that cause orientation side of it but that's not what motivates the buyer um, we're solving a problem for them so we're really trying to get into the heads of the buyers which you are very insightfully <laughs> understanding are not the mom and they come in all shapes and sizes and perceptions around breastfeeding so a huge part of it is education around the need and why this is an essential component of any private business, public space, the law, understanding you know what the requirements are to comply with the law. But um, it's also just understanding the value proposition to them. What is it that they will get from making the right decision here? And generally that's around making sure that you are um, delivering to your female employees this opportunity to continue breastfeeding because it will keep them 
in the job. It will keep them from, you know, their baby's healthy, therefore they are not losing time at work. And there's all kinds of steps around why it's good for not just the, the mom and the baby, but the employer. So we, we go in armed with that. And then on the travel side of things, airports and such, it's about accommodations and being forward thinking. And, and a lot of um, installations that we do get a ton of press. So there's that free publicity for them being uh, front-footed around this cause. I think also our user is not our, our buyer, as you as you suggested. Um, right. We have to have this um, very strong dialogue with moms so they can be activists on our behalf. And thank goodness for social media, because they totally are. Our 60,000 very active Facebook moms are the tools or the toolkit that we then go to um, sales calls with and say, here's what they're saying about this airport that has Mama Voss. Here's what they're saying about this airport yours that doesn't. <laughs> and um, allow them to be really the, the, the drivers behind the, the demand. Mm -hmm. And we're always trolling too. It happens outside our universe, like the Amtrak sure. moms uh, who protested um, to have spaces in Amtrak stations. Um, that When we read stories like that, we get really excited because that's an opportunity and to connect the dots because we have that solution. And Absolutely. I think we also have a, um, wanting to have a sensitivity and having designed something that is a solve both for moms designing around what their needs are but also the facilities so we understand that you can't run plumbing we understand that you know electrical and having you know major um downtime for construction is really challenging so our solution um is a really streamlined one for facilities to use so, uh, just uh, as a side question here, what does it look like on the inside of these pods, and how big are they? Um, we have to get my math down. <laughs> uh, we have we have various size um, units, and um, they are beautiful inside because they are this womb shape. They are balanced with a bench on, on either side. Um, they range from, I believe it's like 28 square feet to about 47. We have a unit that's really big that accommodates for um, a wheelchair and so on. Um, it has a fold-down table. It has an outlet. Um, it has graphics. One of the things, of course, coming from the design world that was really important to us is to see the units as a billboard and a canvas for both breastfeeding but all sorts of other designs so that you can see them with graphics on the inside, with graphics on the outside. Um, there's a mirror, and on the mirror it says, looking good, mama. Um, just a reminder to her after she's maybe had to kind of disrobe to, to feed her baby or to pump, um, that she's all back um, <laughs> with her buttons <laughs> properly aligned. Um, it looks bigger on the inside, actually, than you might expect just because of that circular shape. Got it. If I'm putting on my... Uh sort of facilities general manager hat here why can't you just use uh, empty conference rooms or uh, you know an empty office somewhere what are the barriers for workplaces to providing dedicated space for pumping mainly it's privacy and security and comfort so um, the difference between a 
conference room and Amamava is the space, the Amamava space was designed for moms and the lighting is um, such that it helps with, you know, it's calming. So it, it helps ultimately with letdown, which is an important component of being able to pump. And it really is, it removes you from kind of the craziness. I mean, think about an airport is a good example of all the rush and chaos outside. And it's a really calming, quiet environment inside. And you don't get that, you know, even in a private workspace, unless it's designed specifically for moms who are pumping or nursing their baby, that's not the intended use and it, it just won't be as comfortable and the security part is a is a big concern so we have this smart lock that's activated through our app so when you when you uh you can find um, a mama through the app but then when you get to it you'll you can see if it's occupied or not and then you can use the app to unlock it so that mm -hmm. provides an extra layer of uh security and privacy in the context of private businesses, um, the occupying of a conference room or the HR person who's giving their office away, that can, you know, wear thin after a while and create, you know, conflict and tension um, where none is really deserved or should be there. Yeah, that makes sense. So I actually did a bit of research on this. Uh, with infant uh, breastfeeding rates on the rise in the U.S., is there still a need for, for all of this? Yeah, because there's more of a need, which is great. So we feel, one, that hopefully we're part of that trend by celebrating and supporting moms. More women are initiating. But the fact is that many women are going back to work. Many women choose to go back to work or also have to financially. And in order for them to um, continue breastfeeding, they have to pump. And pumping is not something that you can do <laughs> comfortably and effectively as far as, you know, having the physiology work to, to make milk for your baby um, attached to an apparatus that needs to be plugged into an outlet uh, without some privacy and a designated spot to do it. So, in fact, the increasing rates of breastfeeding um, are one of the many bits of wind in our sails for making the company work. Okay. So, why, why hasn't uh, American culture caught up with the idea that breastfeeding is as natural as eating or walking? Um, or, or maybe the question should be, why has American culture progressed so much that it turns its nose to breastfeeding? I mean, it goes back to the fact that there is no paid parental leave in this country and that women are going back to work so soon um, because breastfeeding, as I said, is one thing and um, pumping is just a whole nother sort of physiological response even. Yeah, and I think that and also the um, formula. So I think there's trends that happen over time and there was certainly a huge number of years not that long ago where it was in vogue to give your baby a bottle and it wasn't about breastfeeding. So I think, um, and you know, sadly a lot of that was supported by formula companies and getting into hospitals and um, the minds of moms that it was, you know, for whatever reason, not thought 
or understood that breastfeeding was better for yourself and your baby. So I think because of those shifting trends, um, now we look at it today, it seems like a no-brainer. I think, as you said, the numbers are increasing, but it's been a long battle to get, I think, just general awareness of the, the health benefits of breastfeeding. Mm. So, and understanding this education side of it, as, as Sasha was saying, the legislation isn't there or hasn't been there to support working moms, which is really our, our angle. It's, it's about moms on the go, but our experience was as working moms. And I think there's always still a misperception that we're trying to tell moms that they have to go somewhere private or, or closed off to breastfeed. And that's not at all what we believe. We believe that moms need to have options to do it, whether they want to breastfeed in public or if they themselves want that privacy or their baby needs that privacy. So I think it's interesting. I think it's very culturally, we haven't caught up to the idea that, yes, it's natural. Yes, it's the best thing. But how do we make it possible? And that's what we're trying. That's what, that's what we're trying to solve for is how do you make it possible? The other thing in American culture that's a key trend is the transient nature of, uh, you know, families splitting up. So one of the things that is a fact is that the art of breastfeeding has often been lost when the um, new mother moves away from the grandmother. And that's across cultures, actually, and um, contributed a lot to the development of the formula industry in this country. Actually, formula was about saving lives. <laughs> it truly was at a certain point, and then it became this commercial entity. But it was because people migrated or immigrated to this country and then for, didn't have the context or the knowledge passed down by their mother. So um, that's definitely something that's, I think, a bit uniquely American as well. Mm. And then, of course, the fact that everything in America should be bought, sold, commercialized was a big part of that trend. Yeah. yeah. So, Sasha, this is a question for you. Um, you're now the CEO of this company. And looking back to your designer days, uh, how, what's it like to transform into an entrepreneur and now have this company on the rise and have employees and families that are now dependent on the, the decisions and the plans that you have for Mamava? Um, so just for a bit of clarification, I, uh, in the design studio, I was a brand strategist, but I worked closely with the design and, and I think I was a creative contributor. Um, so I actually find it really empowering because I love the idea of being able to create our own narrative here and not have it be dictated by the way others have done it. And perhaps, you know, not having an MBA, and, but having sort of the, the MBA of life <laughs> and some of the jobs and work that I've done in the last 20 years has said, like, I've seen how it's done. I saw how, uh, how companies were run through the lens of all of my many, many clients while working at the design studio. And we're going to do it this way. We can pick and choose the best way to run this company. And... Um, I'm the feeling, as I said, empowered about uh, establishing our own narrative, our own way of doing things has been wonderful. So what's next for Mamava? <laughs> we are growing. Yeah, so many things. <laughs> I know, we just, you know we're in the um, tomorrow or next year. <laughs> right, I know, it depends. 
we, you know, have a new smaller product uh, that's going to be available starting in January, which is a bit more for the private office use. Our main units are pretty large and, and kind of um, command a space, and this one is a little bit of a more like a piece of furniture that you could put in the back of a teacher's lounge or the back of a of a or in a shared space um, in a different way than our current unit is. It's also at a different price point, which we think will fill a niche that we haven't been able to into the state. Um, we are expanding to be uh, be more about content delivery and really continuing and engaging that mom universe and, and um, building our brands in that way. Um, just as a company, we're, we continue to grow and expand. So we're looking at hiring a number of people next year. And um, on the operational side, we have a second factory that we brought online that's in the Midwest. So getting some synergies across the manufacturing side of things. And, you know, just, I would imagine what any kind of growing product company, we're trying to refine our systems and, and get ourselves set up for um, continued growth. We do, although we haven't resolved um, how or when to move forward, have a lot of interest internationally. So we're gonna be looking at that, how we should maybe move forward on an international level. Oh, that's fantastic. I wish you all the best there. So um, you both said you had children of your own. Do you have any sons? I have three sons. I have one son and one daughter. Okay. So for either for any one of you, or both of you could answer this. Um, when your sons become young men, um, what lessons would you like to have them learn from the work that you have developed uh, for the mission of Amava? Yeah, I think my kids, the age they're at, they're already kind of manifesting this, but um, I have an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 15-year-old, and they understand that this isn't just a working mom's problem, that this is a family problem, and it's um, something that everyone needs to pay attention to, uh, like a lot of our kind of work-life balance. Uh, issues here in the United States that companies just need to open their eyes and understand that the workforce is women aren't this exception. It's they're part of the workforce, and the sooner you do the right thing by them, the sooner you will have your choice of amazing employees and the men that they're married to or in partnership with will benefit the companies that they're working for as well. So it's all very connected. It's not a, it's not a women's issue. It's a family and our country's issue. That's, that's great. So in closing, I'm going to ask you each or the same question, but it's a question that I ask all of my guests. And I'll let whichever one of you thinks fastest on their feet answer this first. <laughs> if you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself? <laughs> that is so hard. Um, I would just say find 
and I'm going to think about if I was saying it to someone else who's younger, because I kind of feel like we're doing it, but find something you're passionate about and that you have a connection to and the rest takes care of itself. The, you know, when you, as far as career path and developing a business and an idea and being an entrepreneur, that, that as long as that is there, I think the opportunity is, is really all yours. I think mine would be really similar. Um, if you have a problem that you see in the world, do everything you can to try to solve it because no one else is going to better than you. Okay, that's wonderful. Um, so would you like to share your online media details uh, with my audience so that um, if people want to either get in touch with you or learn more about you and what your organization is doing? Our website is mamava.com. On Twitter, we're at mamava. On Instagram, we are mamava underscore VT. And on Facebook, we're at mamava VT. Cool. And that's M-A-M-A-V-A for those who are wondering. Yeah. And you can link to all of them through our website. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, So, Sasha and Christine, it's been a real pleasure having you on my show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Um, The number of women I have talked to and I'm sure millions more out there that I can imagine who have pumped in public bathrooms is gross. And so what you guys are doing is noble and deserves to be trumpeted from the highest offices in the land. Uh, Mamava is such a cool concept and a noble idea. And every woman who has been a mother, any woman that aspires to be a mother or is a mother, uh, anyone who has babysat or anyone who has had any meaningful interaction with an infant will identify with the challenges that you're trying to solve. And so I'm really excited to see where this project goes. And uh, if anything else, it provides all nursing mothers uh, with what they want. And that is a dignified, comfortable space to either breast pump or to feed. And uh, it's great that you're solving this problem. And I wish you all the very best in your journey. Thank you. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast on the shoulders of giants, I talk to one of the coolest and youngest entrepreneurs in the Vermont tech space. Marguerite Dibble is the president and CEO of Game Theory, a company of designers, developers, and problem solvers who build game-powered solutions to tackle real-world problems. Marguerite founded Game Theory as a junior at Champlain College right here in Burlington, Vermont, just six years ago. Everything we could have possibly asked to happen for that game that we made happened. It was a best case scenario. And yet still, even in a best case scenario, the profits were just not sustainable. They just weren't enough. And so that led to a point where I really had to look at it and I really had to think about what I wanted to do. For me, when you're doing a business or when you're living your life, it's really just about being honest with yourself about what your what your goals are. What do you want to achieve? And for me, I love making video games, but my main goal was to have a business 
that I felt like I could grow and that I could thrive with. And for me, having that unpredictable stream of making whatever games I wanted and seeing how they did, that didn't fit that goal for me. So what I did was I sort of looked at where we were and I realized that when I went and talked to people about video games who didn't make video games, they would get so excited. <laughs> they would just light up. They'd be like, oh my God, you make video games? That's so cool. <laughs> and what I realized was that instead of making entertainment games and competing for the same audience with hundreds of other companies, why not take video games to those people who were so excited when they said, oh, you make video games? That sounds so cool. So make games that work for those people's needs that help with, you know, medical stuff, that help with health stuff, that help with education, can benefit from what games do so, so well, which is engage people and create meaningful content and just make something that's fun to interact with. So I decided that I wanted to go into those industries, have a more contract-driven business model, which was more predictable for me, which was one of the things I wanted. And so we rebranded the company as Game Theory, and that's been the space that we have sort of been in since that point. Hey, listener, just one more quick thing. Do you enjoy following the show? Or were there moments you found inspiring or instructive? Can you think of anyone, a friend, a coworker, or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second to share the podcast with them. Tell them about it. Direct them to the podcast Facebook page by just searching for On the Shoulders of Giants podcast in the Facebook search field or direct them to my website, tcrutanira.com. Or lastly, just show them how to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast feed, because we all grow when good ideas and messages are shared.